Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk, where our guest is Renee Flagler. Now some of you may remember that, excuse me, Renee was a guest on a 99 Walks Walk and Talk several months ago where we talked about her role as the Executive Director of Girls Inc. Long Island. But in that conversation, we discovered that Renee has another hat that she wears, and that is the author of contemporary romance novels, and she has written a lot of them. So when we ended that conversation, I said, Renee, promise me you'll come back, and let's talk about that. And she said she would. So Renee, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me to talk about one of my favorite things. <laughs> so I, I like I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. So I want to start <laughs> at the beginning. I want to start with the day that you woke up and said, I'm going to write a romance novel or exactly <laughs> how that came to be. Oh, my goodness. So. I have always been an avid reader, like since I was a child. I've loved words and I've loved books. And so literally I memorize an entire book and I won a storytelling contest in like the second or third grade. <laughs> so amazing. The love of books has always, always been there. And then as an adult, you know, I continue to do, to do a lot of reading and one day I was like, I think I could do this. Like, I could, I could do this. I love, I love books. I love great stories. I love fiction. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my hand at it. I, I, I was always good in English and creating stories and things like that. And so I went to, actually went to film school. So I was like putting stories into like screenplay format and stuff like that. And then um, one day I just started to try my hand at like developing characters. And it was really, it wasn't about getting published. It was really about just diving into these stories and these characters. And so if I had a rough day, my characters had a rough day. If I had a great day, my characters had a great day. And I was just using that first piece of work as just a way to escape. It was escapism for me. I was um, I was enjoying myself and creating these worlds and these stories and things like that. And it really didn't even dawn on me to say, Maybe I can turn this into a book or publish it or, or anything like that. After I, until after I had a conversation with um, a friend at a, a, a new a new job that I was working on, we had met during one of our company picnics and we became fast friends because we both loved to read. We taught we had some of the same favorite authors and same favorite books. And I told her, you know, I dabble in writing a little bit. I enjoy it and so on and so forth. And she was like, Hey, I'd love to read some of the stuff that you've written. And I said, well, I have a little story that I was working on. And I was like, I'll bring you a little something. So <laughs> I bought her 150 pages of the story <laughs> that I was working on. And, and so, was that the first, was that really the first piece of writing or was that iterative? 
that was iterative. And it was it wasn't my first story, but it was the one that I had been working on the most or the longest. It's the one that was had become my go to when I just wanted to kinda like just chill and relax or escape. Um and she took it home and she came back the week later and she was like, You have a marketable page turner here. You need to do something with this. She really enjoyed it. And that's what kind of sparked the whole journey. And so I started out with contemporary women's fiction. And um, after I had been doing that for like 10 years, um, I landed, uh, I moved around. I had some self-published work. I got picked up by small presses. Um, and then the doozy came in 2015. Um, it was really 2014 that it happened. I met with an editor at Harlequin. And she really liked um, my concepts and offered me um, a proposal. So they offered me, they started with a two book deal and they came back and did a six book deal. And I've been writing for, writing romance for Harlequin ever since. So how, let me start with, again, so many questions. How did that meeting come about? Well, actually, Renee, you know what? I'm sorry. Let me take it. Let me go back a little bit. So you talked about uh, the fact that some of your earlier work got picked up by some smaller press. Were you out aggressively pitching that? Did you get an agent? Did it just, you know, sort of, how did that come to be? Sure. So the original work that she had read, um, I I self-published. So a little bit after I was in marketing, and it was just a very difficult time to be in marketing. It was like just a few years after 9-11, and the marketing and advertising and all that side of the industry just, just hadn't recovered. So uh, after I met with her, uh, became friends with her, and we worked together for a couple of months, I had gotten laid off. And I was saying I knew exactly what I wanted to do at that time because at that point I was like, yes, I do want to try this. I do want to see if I can get this published. And so I found out and started to do a lot of research on self-publishing and um, decided to self-publish instead of going through the process of getting an agent. And so I self-published that book in 2004. In uh, December of 2004, it was released. Um, and it was pretty well received, so I was really excited. And it took a while for it to kind of like hit and gain some popularity and things. Um, and so I was pretty excited. And I went to a writing class to like hone my skill. And um, I put out another book about a year and a half later, and then uh, and then I started getting like a little bit of reader demand, like we want to hear more from these characters. So I went back, <laughs> did a sequel from that other book. So those first three books I kind of put out back to back, and then I started going to a lot of events in the publishing industry, uh, reader events, book events. Um, I had the pleasure of being able to be featured author at some of these events, meeting readers and doing book signings. And it was at one of the industry events that I had met a, an editor from a small press. And mm. we were really just talking online. I didn't even pitch to her initially. And we were just chatting and chatting and we exchanged information. And when I got back from that event, it was a huge industry event. When I got back from the event, I got an email from her several weeks later. And she was like, I'd love to, you know, sit and talk with you more about your work. And that led to uh, a two book deal with that press. Um, and then after that, I got picked up by another small press and I did a book with them. And then 
that just kind of continued to get me a little bit more recognition. And so when it came to Harlequin, I had a couple of friends that were actually published that, you know, have um, developed friendships that I had developed in the book industry, a couple of authors. And I was attending um, romance. It was a RT convention. So it was Romantic Times publication used to put on this huge um, event in the romance industry and romance authors from all across the world and readers would come to this event. It it would be people from Australia. Um, There was like Nora Roberts there. I mean, it was just a huge, huge event. Beverly Jenkins, Brenda Jackson, people who are just been around for a long, Kathy Maxwell, been around for a long time. The people who used to have like Fabio on their book covers. <laughs> so it was a big event. Um, and I wanted to pitch some story ideas for romance. And I had a friend who was already writing for Harlequin. And the funny thing is on the day that I had a pitch session, my friend who her editor was already with them, she said she had gotten, um, she had breakfast with her editor and her editor asked her, does Renee write romance? And her friend, my friend was like, as a matter of fact, (laughs) (laughs) you should have. And I actually met with her later that day and she liked what I presented. And within a couple of weeks, um, I had an offer for a two-book deal in the mail after I provided her with a proposal. And so I've been writing for Harlequin ever since then. And I write um, under my other books I write under my name, Renee Daniel Flagler. But my Harlequin books, um, all the romance titles, is actually under the pen name Nikki Knight. So where did the name Nikki Knight come from? <laughs> So, Nikki Knight is my alter ego. (laughs) 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 So, Nikki Knight, she just represents, like, just a different different person, a different world. You know, I think we all have this uh, fantasy of somebody that we could be, either if we had the courage to be or if we didn't feel like... um, if we wouldn't be judged, you know, it, it actually came from, I used to watch, um, I think it was one of the housewives. Um, I'm not a big television person and I'm even less of a reality show person, but on one of those reality shows, these housewives were coming together to do an alter ego photo shoot. And they were just showing like two sides of them. So in some of the photos, it was like, Mm. you know, a person would be dressed like as a businesswoman. They were a businesswoman by day. And let's say if they had a passion for something else, you know, outside of that, then they would be that passionate person that, you know, the other side of who they are. And it's bringing these two people kind of together. So here I am, you know, it's kind of a buttoned up professional by day, but like this artistic kind of free spirit that loves like motorcycles and stuff outside of that. So. <laughs> So I was like, how did those those two worlds? And I was like, I want to do one of those like photo shoots to show, you know, okay, yes, you know, I'm a professional, but outside of that, I love art and and um, I love writing and I have this love for motorcycles. Not that I ever had one, but I'm just fascinated <laughs> by the motorcycle races and everything. And I was like, you know, my alter ego would be like Nikki Nightingale, and she'd be dressed in like biker gear and she'd be artistic and all of this other stuff or whatever. And so when it was time for me to come up with a name, a pen name, 
because we really wanted to, for marketing purposes, we wanted to separate um, Renee Daniel Flagler works from Nikki Knight works because, you know, everybody that read women's fiction or contemporary fiction was not necessarily, you know, romance readers. And romance readers is a whole world by itself. And so just to be able to distinguish the genres, I, you know, uh, talked to my editor about coming up with a pen name. And I was like, I've got the perfect pen name. My alter ego. She would be this mysterious kind of, you know, um, edgy woman, you know, that writes these amazing love stories of like big city romance and all of that stuff. This, you know, ugh. And so I created this character. <laughs> I created this persona of Nikki Knight. You know, I think it's I think it's really an interesting conversation because I think there's a perception out there in the world that a lot of people write romance under a pen name because it's work they're not as proud of. Not at all. And maybe there's some history to that, you know, but there is. I, I think it's right, but I think there I mean you totally own these two personas and these two bodies of work and all that you do with a whole lot of pride. And I, I hope that we're changing the world a little bit and getting to a place where people can be proud of the work they create and, and not, it's not like you're hiding it behind a pen name. No. And you know what, there, there is some history to that, you know, being in the romance industry and meeting some of the icons and just hearing from the, some of the stories of how romance has grown and how it's developed. I mean, it's real. It's a billion dollar industry, and it's driven by women. I'm a woman's woman. You know, I, I work with youth, and I'm, I'm I'm all about girls empowerment and women's empowerment. Um, but I think of romance as being very revolutionary. It's very uh, female forward. It's very female empowerment. It's driven mm -hmm. by women, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why. It, it's equity, right? I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't always get really good respect initially. Um, but, you know, I know doctors and lawyers and judges and, you know, professors and just the most amazing people who write romance. And a lot of them do write romance under pen names. Um, and for that very reason, as you mentioned, because it's like, this is, you know, I'm not going to put my name, I'm, I'm a professor of like marine biology and I'm going to write romance. <laughs> so I'm not going to put my you know, my real name on it because it's so different, such a departure of how I actually show up in life. But I never really looked at it that way. Um, I always thought that romance was revolutionary. There were women who were housewives that became billionaires because they wrote romance, that were liberated in so many different ways because they wrote romance. So to me, it's always been rev very revolutionary. And as a person of color, um, where I've seen a history of where people of color weren't always well represented in literature, it was an opportunity for me to be able to show, you know, love of people of color in a beautiful light, you know? Um, and so I guess my approach to romance is probably a little revolutionary too. Um, I love love. I think that love doesn't get enough spotlight, period. You know, you look at the news and you get all this crazy stuff, and every now and then you get a feel-good story. Um, so I feel like love deserves the spotlight. And I, you know, there's a flip side to this as well. So from the author's side, but then from the reader's side, I think that there are still a lot of people who uh, will not actually cop to the fact that they love to read romance. <laughs> and they devour them. I know some of those people. Uh, of course. 
Of yeah. course, you know, what's, what's better? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm super finicky about what I like to read um, in the following sense. I want a good story and good writing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that those two things should necessarily be so hard to find together, right? Like there are people who like to read beautiful writing, but the story is not captivating. Like life is hard enough. Sometimes can't you just read a great story for the sake of reading a great story? And I definitely think that romance offers that, you know, depending on who you're, you know, you're getting. I love, I've always been a storyteller and I've always loved really good stories. I always love um, the human condition, like just exploring the human condition. I love, um, the challenges and conflicts that love and, and matters of the heart bring to the table and how it challenges people and the flaws that, you know, we walk around with, the fears that we walk around with, the desires that we walk around with. And romance can absolutely bring together amazing writing and amazing stories just in the form of that, you know, finding love and living happily ever after. It can happen. And people love a it little can. bit of fantasy and escapism too. So that's another thing. And we all need that. So, okay, can I hit you with one of my huge complaints? Yeah. Okay, that I wonder if you share. Mm-hmm. So I have a daughter who is graduating from high school this year. Mm-hmm. And she hates to read, which breaks my heart because, like you, I have been a major reader my whole life uh, from the time I was very young. And I love it. I love it. And she hates to read. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that one of the reasons that she hates to read is every single book that she has been assigned in high school is misery, miserable, (laughs) rape, and oppression, and just horrible thing after serial murderers. It's why can't we let, why, why don't we? encourage our kids to read things that not an entire diet right like everything doesn't have to be coming up roses but something so i had this conversation with her 11th grade english teacher and he said because the only great writing is tragic writing and i'm like dude okay so that's my that's my rant what do you think (laughs) I'm, I agree with you. Not true. Although I, I, I value, like, I'm, I'm a real book nerd, right? So I value, like, the literary works of Shakespeare, Othello, and all of that stuff. The tragedy, the triumph, the overcoming, the obstacles, the human condition. I value that stuff completely. But I don't think that that's the only place that you can find great writing. I love Edgar Allan Poe. I was I went to the bookstore, I went to Barnes and Nobles one time, and they had a book that said the complete works of Al, Al, um, Edgar Allan Poe. And I like lost it. I was like, what? You know? <laughs> so <laughs> I picked that up. It's on my bookshelf. I have the complete works of like Langston Hughes. It's on my bookshelf. But I have met some, I've read some of the most incredible, the most moving stories in, in, in like every kind of genre. And I don't think that you can only teach from the perspective of tragedy in order to have a great story. People are interested also in relevant stories, stories that they can look and find themselves in. 
that their characters are relatable, that go through things that they can get, they can understand, that may be relevant to their time. I think all of this has a place, but I don't think that the only place that you can find true great literary works is in complete tragedy. I agree, and and it's done, at least in my immediate experience, it's done a terrible disservice to my daughter because her perspective is that books are misery. And, and I'm not possible. talking, you know, yeah, like I'm not talking about kids or people who have learning challenges, so reading is difficult. It's none of that. It's just wh why would I want to spend my leisure time immersed in misery and I'm like they're not all miserable I promise <laughs> but it's, yeah but that's the, that's the diet like you said that she's been introduced to so yeah we're probably going to have to introduce her to some other some <laughs> something else I know honestly like I may just um I may just take one of your series and just drop it in her room and hope for the best um which leads me to sort of my next question you tend to write uh, series. You know, you tend to sort of dig into the families or the characters and sort of stick with them for a few titles. Do you right. plan all of that out? Like, do you have a three book plan of what's going to happen with the Blackwells or does it evolve? Um, so usually so that's what the, the, the um, title or the imprint, couldn't get that word out, but the imprint <laughs> that I work with with Harlequin is a, a, a imprint of series. And so I'll um. have a conversation with my editor and it's like, okay, so, you know, they were, this particular imprint really loved the dynamic stories of families and dynasties and things like that. So that's kind of where we dug in. Actually, the book that I'm working on now is going to be quite a departure from what we have recently, what I've recently delivered in the previous Nikki Knight titles. And so they're looking for um a little more little more drama, a little more conflict, not necessarily tied to these big family dynasties. They're moving in a little bit of a new direction. So the next book that comes out next year will be just a little bit different, but it will still be a central theme of like you know, that story of love and, you know, and overcoming and human condition and all of those elements will still be part of it. But I'm not sure if they are going to continue with the with the series. And so normally when it comes to the series, we have a conversation and I'm like, here's a family that I want to present. And here's what the family is. And, you know, there's different children in the families. And the series is actually like the story of each child and how they found love and things like that. So that's kind of where the series comes from. And do you always, are your protagonists and heroines and heroes, are they always people of color? Definitely mostly people of color. I have some mixed ones where um, both were not people of color or there's different um, different backgrounds, but, ma but the majority of the books that I write, the characters are people of color. The story is universal. This character is Absolutely. people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and are there a lot of people in the romance genre now writing? So I mean, I, I'm thinking about it because you made reference to it a little bit earlier. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm a pretty big reader and it, it's occurred to me that, yeah, not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of work there. So you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> there is, 
the romance industry is quite huge. Um, and it's like once you delve in, you realize like, whoa, this is, you know, this is really, really big. So Harlequin is probably maybe the leader in um, romance. They're probably best known or best branded for their romance series, <clears throat> their romance um, collection of books. And they have so many different imprints and genres, so depending on what you like. If you like mystery, if you like paranormal, um, if you love cowboys, you know. Paranormal love... romance, I'm all about it. That's like two, two of my favorite things in one, one genre. Exactly, exactly. So there's, <laughs> there's sports romance, there's suspense romance. It's, there's so many different, like, just little amazing little genre areas within that whole romance sector. And so Harlequin is probably the largest publisher of most of this. <clears throat> and whatever your palette loves, you can find romance in that particular category. But then there's other publishers that are huge in romance, like Avon or um, Forever, which is under Grand Central. Um, so there are there's a ton of different um some of the big big houses in publishing that have romance imprints and i think it's bigger than people realize it is unless they're kind of like unless they kind of delve in and one thing i love about romance readers is that they are voracious readers mm -hmm. right? they read at like phenomenally quick rate like they devour <laughs> romance books and they're ready for the next one well, that's the that's the beauty of romance. I mean, uh, you get so deep, so so quickly, you get so deep into the characters in this story. You yeah. know, they they tend not to be something that you just uh, they're not a labor to move through a romance novel. So, uh, we only have a few minutes left, so I I have so many more questions. But before <laughs> I before I let you leave us, the question is. How in the world do you do it all? Because you are prolific in your writing career. At the same time, you are the executive director of Girls Inc. Long Island. At the same time, you're a speaker and a coach and all the other things that we all do in our day-to-day -day life. And I, there have to be a million people out there going, I would love to write a book, but I, I could never find the discipline. I could never find the time. And I do a lot of things, Renee, but like, I can't figure out how you do it all. So like, <laughs> yeah. How? You got it. Um, I live my life in buckets, right? So when I am at Girls Inc., I am totally in the Girls Inc. bucket. It's all Girls Inc. I give my focus, time, and dedication to Girls Inc. When um, I'm writing, I usually write in the evenings or on the weekends. And I share that time with, like, my family and stuff. My kids are grown, so they don't need me as much. Um, you know, my husband has his hobbies. And writing is, like, one of my favorite pastimes. It's therapeutic for me. So it can be a go-to at times where it's like, I just need to escape. I just need to, you know. It's almost like self-care and self-love for me. You know, some people will mm -hmm. go get a massage i'll do that too but you know escaping into the world of my 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 characters and all of that sometimes is just therapeutic and it's fun and then coaching that part coaching and, and speaking really just kind of comes naturally to me um you know i have years and years of ex executive level experience running an organization 
uh, running teams, running departments. Um, so I have a lot of managerial experience, and I have my entrepreneurial experience just managing my book career um, and, and speaking. And so that really is just an opportunity for me to – it's like give back for me, that the speaking and the um, – coaching is really an opportunity for me to share with others and help them, you know, along the way, help them, you know, pursue their passions and turn their dreams into their businesses or give them the skills to be able to set up uh, a strategic plan in order to, you know, really focus on the growth and the building of their business. So each of those areas is three parts of me are really natural extensions of who I am. They're all very much female-based. I love seeing women and girls win. I love women's empowerment. And to me, all those areas help me to do that. Running this organization helps to empower girls. Being a coach and a motivational speaker helps me to empower women. And the books that I write are amazing stories about amazing women who are also very flawed, and it's also inspiring and entertaining. So all of them kind of fall into the same bucket for me. Yeah. That doesn't sort of answer the question of how is it that I have 24 hours in my day and you clearly have 36, but okay. <laughs> but you know what? I, I, I hate to use the cliche, but when, when you talk about your writing, you talk about it with such love and affection that it really does sound like the cliche of, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life because while anybody who's I write and anybody who's written knows it is hard work it is so clearly a labor of love and a joy for you that it has to go in that bucket of it's work but it feels like joy yes absolutely I work Monday yeah, through Friday 9 to 5 my evenings are split up between coaching, um, writing, and chilling out with my family and friends. Weekends, the same thing. I'm a church girl. I go to church on Sundays, hang out with my family. Saturdays, I'll split my time between doing some writing in the morning, exercising and all that stuff, and then hanging out with the family. Okay. So clearly, you do, in fact, have 36 hours in your day. So good for you, <laughs> Renee. <laughs> Uh, anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate especially uh, these days you taking some time out to have this conversation. Really appreciate it and wish you all the very best. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me back to talk about these things that I love so much. <laughs> yeah, it was really a joy. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.